Tim's being attacked <gasps> by a Velociraptor. <gasps> it's a baby. Oh. Okay, Dave, so how are they going to find the nest? Well, I'll tell you how. By following Clarence, the colour-changing raptor. There's a lack of logic in this last sequence, which you could very well put down to acid. What should we do? I know, man, but that multicoloured raptor over there is telling me that we need to go and find its family in a hole. It's almost like a little nature show, isn't it? Like, yeah, so it's like it's um, Battle Royale, but with dinosaurs. Yeah. Tell you what, I'd pay to watch that as well. One T-Rex, one island, 900 terrified hadrosaurs. Hello and welcome to part five of Shark Liver Oil's page-by-page uh, page guide to Michael Crichton's Jurassic Park. That was me dropping the book. Um, <laughs> you threw it on the ground, the Matt. You're not a part <laughs> of the system. Yeah. So, Jurassic Park part five. We're going from a chapter called The Grid uh, to the end of the book. Uh, I'm Matt. I'm Dave. Hello. And it's it's been a wild ride, Dave. Um, you're not kidding we've lost a few people along the way yeah. hopefully no more but we'll see Mick Hucknall we hardly knew ye <laughs> poor old Mick poor Mick his dinosaur chow <laughs> but, uh, there's a joke to be made there about his about his gender politics but I don't think I'm going to go there dinosaur eating a dinosaur hey uh, no, no just just me bit obscure moving on bit obscure <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, so, last time we left them, actually, there's danger, massive danger, because the raptors are on the roof, Dave. The raptors are on the roof, and they're, try- they're trying to bite through the security bar. <laughs> it's gone, gone and, a bit uh, dinosaur zombie movie, hasn't it? Yeah. It's gone a bit, sort of, the raptors are kind of like, um, do you know when you're trying to get inside a can of tuna and the... Uh, you don't have a can opener. <laughs> you, using work using out only your teeth, you mean? How many times yeah. have you tried to open a can of tuna yeah. using only your teeth? Yeah, but but the, the, it works as far as they're trying to get through the metal bit and get the the, the tasty contents <laughs> the inside. Tasty meat within. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's only one person who can save the people in the lodge, and this is Tim. And this is where the grid comes in because Tim's. At the uh, at the sort of computer terminal in the control room, and he's got to try and get the power on as soon as possible because yeah. the raptors are almost in. And there's a there's a sort of certain level of panic going on. Um, he's desperately trying to find out how to do it, and he presses one of the things he presses is the info button. Yeah, um, which is we've all done this. You click the info, thinking surely maybe that is some sort of help thing, and it just tells you sort of. Which version of the sort of software you've got? <laughs> Information play. you're using, and you can imagine like the Microsoft paperclip popping up, can't you? Doing that thing where there's not quite enough RAM on the computer to actually run the thing, so it just all slows down. Like if this yeah. scene had been in real life, you know, because it is really well written, it's really tense, and it's like down to the last second of when he can turn it on and how he can turn it on, and oh no, what if you can't turn it on? And in real life, this would have been like just gonna click here and try this. Paperclip, paperclip's <laughs> loading. Just give me a second. Just wait. Just wait. And then a raptor runs in from left of screen and eats everybody. Like that's what would have happened. <laughs> it looks like you're trying to turn on the fences in the lodge. Do you need help? Do you need some help turning on? Have you considered not? Energy saving is a very important feature. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> it looks like you're trying to get the pooper scoop working again. No, I'm not. <laughs> Would you like a siren to help you in your decision making? <laughs> oh, woo-a, woo-a, woo-a. <laughs> anyway, he does finally mind without any any help. Finally, minds to find the power section, the the grid that you need to switch the fences on the lodge. He does all that, gets through to it, presses it, and he gets another error message. <laughs> and it's like, why? And I can just, I feel his pain here. You need to update your security yeah. software. Yeah. It's just, everyone's been through this. Maybe not with the added, you know, threat of Velociraptor attack, but, you know, <laughs> trying to get something working. It does bring a new terror to that, you know, puts a bit of an edge on that experience. Because, you know, it usually is an experience of dull existential angst and frustration, isn't it? Waiting for your computer to do something that there's no reason it shouldn't do. But then, yeah. you know, add carnivores to the mix. It's a whole new experience. Definitely a different mm. tone. Yeah. Uh, so, but then this is interrupted because they've got to get out of there because there are raptors in the hallway, Dave. Raptors <laughs> in the hallway. They're everywhere. These that sounds like the start of a drinking song, doesn't it? A rugby song. <laughs> there were raptors in the hallway. There were... I don't know. Uh, we flick over to the lodge for a minute and the raptors are almost through now. So it looks like the last chance is gone and they're going to just have to, you know, put up whatever fight they can. Yeah. Uh, back to the vis- the visitor centre, stroke control room. Tim and Lex are in the hall, and they see the raptors making their way down and think, "Oh shit, best get back in the control room." Turn round, and the door's locked because <laughs> the powers come shit. back on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but luckily for them, they can sort of scoot over to another room and duck into the doors there. Mm. Um, the next chapter is lodge, and. Hammond sort of standing there looking up at these raptors almost through thinking how did it come to this um, he's still blaming other people as well he says to, I'm not sure who he says it to but he says to one of the people in the room where's Tim gone? he, he seems such a responsible boy he's really let us down <laughs> this 11 year old <laughs> yeah I actually think you know reading it through this time I think Hammond's an extraordinarily well sketched complete asshole. Like, in a way which he's just not in the film. But he, like, just these little asides where you can see with quite amazing economy the way the character's written. Just a single phrase lets you see just how deeply deluded he is about the state of the park and about what's happening. You know, and, and, and this bit is like kind of the main problem here is that my grandson is not doing what I had told him to do. <laughs> Kids, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He learns nothing, doesn't he, Hammond, throughout this. Um, we cut to Grant and Gennaro making a run for the visitor centre, trying to get there to save the kids. And then Tim's being attacked <gasps> by a velociraptor. <laughs> it's a baby. Oh. <laughs> Which is fine. <laughs> so um, <laughs> so they've run into the nursery and the baby raptor's jumped on Tim. So Tim like gets it. It looks like it's sort of saying hello and being all friendly, this little baby one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Tim slides it out towards the bigger raptors as they arrive. The baby basically makes the supreme sacrifice here um, <laughs> because the raptors just sort of have a look at him as he runs over, have a sniff, and then just start chowing down. Ugh. Care in the community Great. is what that is, Matt. It's like it's that's like reverse Asbos, isn't it? That's yeah. You know, it's 
<laughs> like little kid running around your community all sweetness and light and it's the adults who were who uh who are eating him rather than the other way around yeah so there's obviously no um instinct in these animals to protect the young anyway uh, yeah Oops. which is something which i'm gonna want to come back to later on because the, the something happens later which mm. i think contradicts this but i will get to mm. it Okay, well, the, the kids run through the labs then, trying to get away, and they bump into Grant and Gennaro, who have just arrived in the nick of time. So uh, Grant sends Gennaro and the kids into this room next door and thinks, right, he's going to take them on on his own. <laughs> so it's, it's basically Grant versus raptors here. The Paleontologist versus the raptors. Yeah, this is top of the fight card, isn't it? It's the main <laughs> event. Celebrity deathmatch in one corner. <laughs> in the octagon tonight <laughs> so uh, he leads them into the hatchery he's got a plan here and basically it revolves around po- there's all this poison which they remember seeing on the tour and yeah. he's going to inject it into dinosaur eggs and try and get them to eat the eggs because he knows that raptors used to scavenge eggs back in the day good plan So good plan Yeah. if you were designing a dinosaur park be yeah. honest would you put the extraordinarily powerful poisons right next to the very last and perhaps most vulnerable stage of the very <laughs> expensive animals that you were growing at a 1 in 200 success rate. It does beg the question why they're there. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, maybe they just, maybe there was just one member of staff who was like, I, no, I can see this coming. Like he's, we, we never meet this person because he or she has called in sick before this weekend happened, just seeing that it was all going to kick off. But before that, they were like, I'll give them a fighting chance. I'll leave these extraordinarily powerful toxins right next to the baby dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. Do you think as they were installing them, some another technician saying, why are you putting the poisons there? Like, Never you mind, just plot, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we all know that the point of this park is to provide a dramatic crescendo in... About 72 hours, all right? So fuck off, because they've got to be on these shelves for that purpose. Also, make sure you put the bleach right next to the bottles of milk and take the labels off them both, all right? In the kitchen, because same, same. Uh, so, so Grant poisons the dinosaur eggs. He rolls one, and, and I think he rolls two, actually, which the raptors just ignore. So the third one, he sort of rolls it like a bowling ball, and that's that's what gets them interested. This is kind of similar to what if you have, if they've ever sort of tried playing with a cat, and yeah. sort of like moving stuff around. It, it they sort of tend to ignore the easy stuff, but if you give them a challenge, they go flying after it. <laughs> Seems like the raptors do the same. Um, <laughs> that actually, I find that a very very easy parallel to draw because we, we've noted before the fact that cats, you know, if they were bigger than you, they'd try and kill you. And yeah. velociraptors are bigger than us and are trying to kill us in this. Yeah, so this they're basically it sort of works. cats with sort of scalier skin. Yeah, yeah. So um, the, the the egg rolls uh, across that the, the one of the raptors pounces, eats it, promptly sort of falls over, starts dying, and a second velociraptor tries to attack the dying one <laughs> just because he's <laughs> such a bastard. <laughs> <laughs> and again, you sort of how on earth are you supposed to survive as a cook? You're a pack hunter, and then one of yeah. you falls down, and your first response is to ignore the prey that you put all this time and effort into, and just start eviscerating your mates. It's <laughs> unconvincing, I would say, as a strategy. 
<laughs> I mean, imagine, I mean, the parallel with that is imagine if fox hunting, you know, a bunch of toffs on horses going after foxes. At one point, you know, you know, they're all on the chase. And, and then one of them falls off his horse. It's as if, mm. like, at that point, Master of Foxhounds turns around and goes, stop, whoa, 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 stop everything. Fucking have him, lads. And everybody just turns <laughs> around and starts trampling on this poor bastard under his horse. Do you know what I mean? He doesn't... <laughs> Put it this, if your hunting behaviour makes even less sense than traditional countryside fox hunting in England, I think you've probably got a problem in terms of your <laughs> strategy. <laughs> um, Grant's got one more raptor to kill, and he does the old switcheroo. So he, <laughs> he, gets, the, he gets a radio, tells Ellie to keep talking, throws it across the room, so there's a sound of, some, of human voice mm. at this sort of other part of the room. The raptor sort of goes to investigate, and while its tail's near his sort of <laughs> near Grant's face, he stabs it and injects it directly, and then very nearly gets killed immediately after that. It's a close call, this one, isn't it? Yeah, 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 very much. I was thinking in this scene, he's quite lucky that Ellie um, Ellie does keep talking instead mm. of because you know she's talking as though he's not there. Is that like, what? What? Hello, hello, are you there, Alan? Are you there? Because you know you'd be forgiven for turning off the radio and oh no, he's not there. Screw it. <laughs> what a death scene that would have been just like trying to yell from the other side of the room no no just keep talking oh he's heard me shit <laughs> thing is she's not a lot else to do at this point Ellie she's basically just staring up watching a raptor chew its way into a room to eat a face on it so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> probably glad for the distraction well. actually you could say exactly you? yeah yeah, um, but they so they all survive and then it's to the control room <laughs> we're in there um <laughs> With Gennaro's help, Gennaro remembers what the problem is here because he was in the control room way back when people who could work the computers were around. And it's the need to turn the main power on. So yeah. they do that. The Raptors are almost in and Tim hits F4. Luckily he remembers that F4 is the uh, the coordinates. And bang, on comes the power for the lodge. The Raptor sort of gets electrocuted. Yeah. And everybody's safe. You hear these little tinny cheers yeah. over the radio. I quite like that as a way of staging that scene because you can I, you can really see it, can't you? Like really cheap security monitor, cathode yeah. ray tube, lens flare, <laughs> just as if from the end of a very long metal pipe. Fantastic, actually. I thought. So the lodge is safe, but there's another problem, Dave. This, there's always another problem, and this one is: this, do you remember this ship with the raptors on? Yeah. Well, it's nearly it's still nearly there. I don't know about you, but I just I went straight to sort of Indiana Jones music at this point. Like I I thought this whole this whole sequence was so well done in terms of tension because it comes down to the very last second. The raptors are about to eat Tim, then the raptors are about to eat Malcolm and Ellie and Harding and then the raptors are about to get to the mainland and eat everybody in the world and all of these like <laughs> climax moments happen within about 90 seconds of each other and everybody's just like right now I need to do this now and now the right thing to do is to pull it out of the bag in the following way I just absolutely love it like it's ludicrous and therefore yeah. great <laughs> so the phones are working so Tim rings up the captain of this ship hmm. and tells him to turn it around unsurprisingly the captain is less than sort of willing to do so when just some 11 year old boy just just starts shouting at him to stop docking <laughs> um, but Gennaro realises that this is the moment to use yes. his lawyer skills which so far have been useless <laughs> <laughs> 
So he quotes the Uniform Maritime Act, which I'm not even sure exists, yeah. um, to convince the guy to turn around. Basically threatens him with a uh, with all these legal implications if he doesn't. Yeah. And the captain, obviously not a legal man himself, <laughs> decides, <laughs> you know what, better safe than sorry. <laughs> Turns yeah. the shit around. Yeah, but I, right, and as, as glorious as this is, and by the way, wouldn't you love it if Gennaro had been even more pathetic all the way through and just any time anybody asked him to do anything, he just went, I can't do it, I'm a lawyer. <laughs> and, then, and then it would have been a real kind of like, wait, I can do like this. The, I'm a lawyer. <laughs> it's like the sort of reverse of. Have you seen Taken by, uh, with Liam Neeson? In, I, in fact, I haven't seen Taken. No. Well, he's, he's this sort of ex uh, sort of SAS guy or uh, the American version who goes and um, has to save his daughter. Mm. But he, he says down the phone, he says, I have a very particular set of skills and all this. And I can just imagine Gennaro <laughs> saying it, but for the other reason. Yeah, exactly. Look, I've got a very particular set of skills. <laughs> I am useless in the context of blowing up dinosaurs. <laughs> Completely. You don't want me doing it, honestly. What's that? Everybody else is dead. Oh, shit. Um, yeah. But the other thought that occurred to me here with this ship is, um, it, ships don't exactly stop on a dime. You no. know what I mean? Like he's literally coming into the dock. Like, isn't it almost more irresponsible when you're like, you know, however, like feet away from the dock to try and stop a <laughs> massive resupply? She's like, whoa, 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 whoa! Uniform Maritime Act, you say something I've never heard of? Tell you what, full reverse. Don't care who's behind us. <laughs> <laughs> cramped harbour conditions I don't care who we take out the Uniform Mar- Maritime Act must be obeyed crash <laughs> turn you know what, what's the equivalent of a handbrake turn in a boat because I bet it can't go well yeah I bet it's not very fast but you, you slowly <laughs> turn yeah but yeah, slow but unstoppable is what you can expect there isn't it yeah <laughs> uh, so we move on to the next chapter called Destroying the World now the now the people in the lodge are safe it's time to do a bit more sort of discussion the school's back in session Malcolm's uh, holding court and they're talking about destroying the world and Malcolm's point is that we can't like human beings can't destroy the world we can only really destroy the world insofar as how it works to keep us alive yeah so even if we were to have the worst thing you could imagine like an all like nuclear holocaust or something yeah something would survive it just wouldn't be us yeah yeah and i actually thought that was when i first read this i thought that was actually a very powerful argument like notwithstanding my my misgivings with the rest of michael Crichton's views on global warming and stuff which is that he didn't think it was real um Mm. but um this i actually thought this was a really great argument from philosophy alone you know really without having to touch the science would be like honestly actually look at how resilient life is on this planet you know there's been five major extinction events and people something has survived every single mm. time um you know a bug a bacteria whatever it is you know it's always been that things have survived what haven't survived are complex organisms who used to be at the mm. top of all the food chains and um and i actually thought that was a really powerful argument because we usually talk about environmentalism in terms of save the planet the planet is beautiful and we should and it is but actually i think there's probably more mileage in the environmentalism movement becoming look i'll level with you the bugs in the forest they don't care they will survive while they're eating the leftovers of human civilization we will not survive so we need to work out a way of dealing with this you know yeah do it for ourselves yeah exactly i mean because sadly selfishness is a far more powerful human human motivation than altruism is most of the time or not in the individual case actually i don't think but when it comes to things like 
when it comes to you know things where it's like oh do I really have to do that can't other people do that you know these really big mm. tragedy of the yeah. commons sized problems like environmental environmental problems you know playing yeah. to people's people's selfishness is probably a better way of doing it yeah yeah but yeah but another that, like... another complete complete home run from Ian Malcolm's philosophy masterclass absolutely love yeah. it yeah, I do love that that argument that sort of the in terms of saving the planet that the altruism isn't even required, and the fact that we think we need to is very arrogant and our part yeah. to think we could even destroy the planet. Yeah, but yeah. the other side of that is don't don't read into that. Oh, let's just you know just do whatever it. the hell we want then. Yeah, because that'll be uh, yeah that'll be pretty bad news for us even yeah. if it's not for the planet in general. Yeah, yeah. So everything's now under control. Um, this is the next chapter. It's four hours later, isn't it? Mm. No, mm-hmm. so they're getting everything back to some relative form of control. Mm. Um, they're doing a sort of a tally of the survivors, and there are twenty-four on the island. Mm-hmm. Um, looks like eight are dead and six are still missing. So that means you've got ten more left. So it's been a quite a big body count. Yeah. Um, but the the good news is the raptors that were on the ship have been found and killed. They were just some sort of juvenile ones, so it wasn't too much trouble. Mm. Um, and the, the interesting thing is they, they look at, they're in the control room looking at the screens and the park's reaching a sort of equilibrium now the, the numbers of the uh, of the dinosaurs have dropped um, in various categories yeah, yeah. and it's becoming more like you know a natural system rather than the the uh, artificial one that was created mm-hmm. so there are these scenes of like you know these this is horrifying like slaughter show, isn't it <laughs> yeah, yeah, but with horrifying slaughter. Um, yeah, well, yeah. So it's now, like it's um, battle royale, but with dinosaurs. Yeah, tell you what, yeah. I'd pay to watch that as well. I know that makes me a terrible person, but can you imagine? <laughs> one T Rex, one island, nine hundred terrified hadrosaurs. <laughs> now this is the point, right? So these amazing scenes uh, with the, the the park reaching equilibrium, um, and you know they're about to get. They can, get, they can get airlifted out now. And Gennaro says, right, let's get this place bombed. Let's just finish it off. Hmm. It's too dangerous. Yeah. And I think that actually this would be a better book if they just agreed with Gennaro when it ended here. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. The, the, the sort of reaction of Grant, I mean, Grant is furious and says, no, this is your mess and we've got to clean it up yeah. ourselves. Um, and his theory is... We have to go and count all the raptor eggs to work out how many of them there are. Yeah. And we must do this ourselves now. And <laughs> it feels, for all like how Gennaro has, has, has a bit of a checkered history in this book, I do feel at this stage he's the sort of the one sane person at the party. <laughs> he's saying, what are you talking what, about? The and shivering, everyone else is like, no, that, that, this is, <laughs> and I, I actually... <laughs> I agree. This is insane behaviour from where I'm sitting. But this is actually the bit where I think this book becomes really innovative in that it uses science as an excuse to make a really, really, really intelligent person do at the end of the book what usually causes all the trouble at the start of a horror movie, right? It's like, you don't have to go outside. Don't go out there. He's behind the door. You know, it's that. But don't go out there because you know there's a massive nest full of dinosaurs and you're going to go and count them because of reasons. (laughs) Science! For science! (laughs) It just feels a bit like Grant just can't let it go now. And the very thought of all these dinosaurs being 
blown to smithereens. He thinks I want one last close look at them. Yeah, and um, I, like I can, I can understand that from his character perspective. Like I'm not sure that the kind of self righteous, you know, you, you've done this and we have to go and face up to it sort of thing. Um, mm. I'm not certain that the the correct full stop to that sentence is therefore let's go and count them. I would be like mm. therefore let's make ourselves available to the nearest court of jurisdiction or whatever. I think would be a yeah. slightly more reasonable way of sort of doing that. But, um, uh, yeah, it's odd. But I do see it from Grant's point of view. Like, actually, in a couple of pages' time, Ellie says, you know, Gennaro's like, is he not scared? And, um, and, and Ellie goes, yeah, but he's also been thinking about doing this for his entire life. And I thought that was quite an interesting thing where it sketches this sort of, the kind of fanatical devotion to your subject that makes you like yeah. a real expert in your field, you know, is such that you would actually go and seek out, you know, the best example of your field, even if it was literally a hole in the ground full of things that were trying to eat you. Like that's yeah. how committed Grant is to, to paleontology. And I, I, I did, I liked that. I like the theme of that. I'm not certain it makes the first piece of sense in a narrative way. <laughs> Yeah, I like how Gennaro's reaction to that shows him as the sort of complete pragmatist that he is as well, where he's like, he thinks, he wonders if he's ever, if there's anything that he's waited his whole life for, and he just thinks for a minute and thinks, no, there's not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and again, I do quite like that that honesty as well. (laughs) Like, no, I'm a lawyer, that my whole professional leitmotif has been not doing things that I care about, but doing things that pay really, really well. (laughs) Yeah, I got to I mean, I, there, I do, I do like Gennaro. Is sort of his, you know, in his funny little way. Um, but anyway, um, so so they're off on their egg counting mission, which I, I've got. I've still got to say, I think this is kind of where they jump the shark a bit. Here. But, um, so so they go into a. They go into this bunker, find a load of grenades. I mean, Muldoon's up for this as well. I'd imagine he'd just be like, just blow them all up. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I am quite surprised. I No, I get the impression, though, that Muldoon is too tired to think even slightly straight and yeah. just really <laughs> hates Gennaro, just has nothing but contempt for somebody who's <laughs> built his whole life around suing people and getting paid a lot of money for it. So, <laughs> so his response is... So Grant Grant is a straight shooter. Gennaro's a weaselly lawyer. I don't fucking care. I've been drinking since yesterday. You go with him, or I'll blow you up with this grenade. <laughs> so this is basically everyone risking their lives to troll Gennaro. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it is. Yes. Okay, Dave. So how are they going to find the nest? Well, I'll tell you how. By following Clarence, the colour-changing raptor. <laughs> a different kind of raptor as well, like and like some yeah. some magical chameleon raptor. Uh, introducing yeah. the possibility: is there any point where they've all maybe they've like fallen through a particular tropical bush that they planted because it looks nice, but actually has psychoactive properties, and they're all just tripping? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, because like, there's a lack of logic in this last sequence, which you could very well put down to acid. Couldn't you? <laughs> like, yeah. like, what should we do? I know, man, but that multicolored raptor over there is telling me that we need to go and find its family in a hole. Yeah, everybody in. And Gennaro's the only person who hasn't fell through, and he's like, "You just go to bed. You're drunk." Nah, man, you're coming with me, and I've got a grenade launcher. So fuck you. Here we go. <laughs> 
Yeah. So Clarence the Colour and Changing Raptor, this is the, the raptor that Grant found under the waterfall. Um, I think Lex has named it Clarence. <laughs> and the they find this. <laughs> yeah. And they find out that um, it's as it's moving along that it's changing the colour of its skin slightly to blend in with the mm-hmm. the background. So it's got some sort of chameleon type of properties. Mm-hmm. Um, just leads to a quick discussion here about this mystery being solved of the gender problem in the park, where they they sort of basically bred all females, and suddenly these males turned up. And it's the idea that some amphibians, especially frogs, can spontaneously change sex from male to female mm. um, in a single-sex environment, as Sam Neill so eloquently explains in the film. Yep. Um, so they follow Clarence to the nest. Um, Chinaro's not sure what to expect. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody else, though, has the, the, quali- the, the confidence of the truly stoned. It's fine. Just go into the hole in the ground. It's okay. No, I'm going into a hole in the ground. Okay, I'll see you later. Love you. Hole in the ground. Well, the thing is, Gennaro says, I don't really know what, you know, what we're going to expect here. And Grant replies basically saying, oh, we can make a few best guesses, but basically we've no idea. And Gennaro just turns to Ellie just because so much for the experts. <laughs> <laughs> so they get to this hole, which is obviously the way in. Um, Grant's continuing to sort of bash Gennaro over the head about how he's responsible. He's just continuously yes. having a go at him now. Yeah. It's a bit hard. I think it's because he hasn't had the opportunity to fall asleep five times. What is it? Three times in 20 minutes like he did earlier on this morning. He's just he's a bit grumpy, <laughs> a bit tired. Cranky. And he hates lawyers. <laughs> I just think, also, if he's, um, I mean, Hammond's still around. So if he wants to have a go at someone, surely he's, why are they just leaving Hammond alone and just bollocking Gennaro again and again? <laughs> um, so Grant goes down into the hole and uh, Ellie says to Gennaro, right, you're next. And... Um, <laughs> I got. Let me find the quote because this is really good. It's another Gennaro has some great lines in this bit. Actually, <laughs> I think he yeah, gets more character development than he does from any other part of the book. That's true. Um, yeah. <laughs> so Grant's continuing to bollock uh, Gennaro, and he basically says, "You know, you created the dinosaurs," and he's like, "I didn't." He says, "Yeah, but your money did," and all this. And he says, yeah. "You can't, you can't just sort of blow them up now because you're feeling a little nervous." And Gennaro, as he turns around, Gennaro's like, I'm not nervous, I'm scared shitless. <laughs> <laughs> he's got this real gallows humour about him, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's fantastic. And and I have to say, you know, as much as he's supposed to be going along with Grant here, and he is, like, obviously uber cool, um, mm. I'm not certain I'd buy his argument here, because earlier on in the book, you know, Gennaro and his business partners have a conversation about what their, what their exposure is to the park. Like well, how much they own, and it's like five percent of it or something. Um, mm. And they took it in lieu of some fees at some point. Their their legal firm was like, "All right, give us a bit of ownership, and you know, you don't have to pay the fees for the last couple of years or whatever if you've run out of money." <laughs> and yeah. um, uh, and so what that means is that they own a very small proportion of the thing. Like I don't really understand why Grant hasn't just if he's this angry if he hasn't gone and got Hammond and dragged an eighty year old man out with his walking stick with a fly in the top and said, "Right, listen." Grandpa, fucking miracle on Ila Nublar. Get in that hole. Get in that. It's your fault. You did it. Get in that hole. But he's like giving an absolute rinsing to somebody who's basically been a sleeping partner until he got on a plane a few days ago. Which yeah. raises the interesting question of what Alan Grant would have done in response to the global financial crisis. 
right? <laughs> to, to like going around finding absolutely everybody who owns a single share of a bank that's done something dodgy, which is to say almost all banks. And just being like, it's your fault, so we're going to go and clean this up. Give me all your money. Don't <laughs> shut up. Don't ask me how it works. Just give me all your money, and then we're going to go and count some dinosaurs, and that's going to make it better. <laughs> we're going to physically single-handedly count all the shares. Yeah, that's then... right. I'm going to count every penny that's gone missing in this financial crisis, and you're going to help me. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that chapter ends with Grant disappearing down the hole um, and then we move on to a chapter called Almost Paradigm and uh, Malcolm is has now slipped into a coma it looks like he's going to die still and Hammond's very worried about this because he feels it would be the final rebuke <laughs> to his <laughs> It's still all about Hammond, even as uh, Malcolm's dying on a bed. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's uh, he thinks Malcolm's probably dying on purpose just to piss Hammond off. Um, so <laughs> Hammond goes for a walk uh, to clear his head. Yeah, I, I like, I actually like at this moment. There was, there was one bit when he asks to sort of leave the room. He talks to Harding and he goes, "Is there any problem with me being outside?" And Harding's like, "No, mm. no, no. I think it's fine." But I was just amazed that like Hammond's go-to thing. Everybody else is kind of more of an expert than Hammond is at this point. Like, mm. Harding, Sattler, Malcolm, everybody's actually interacted with these dinosaurs, and it's like, kind of, yeah, I mean, I suppose I know where they're likely to be and where they're not. Hammond, even though he's been there, has been in this room the entire time. So he sort of has to <laughs> ask permission, like, are there, and he still doesn't know the first thing about these things that he's actually created. And he's mm. like, oh, fuck it, I'm going for a walk. Like, doesn't even bother to yeah. stick around and make sure that the people who are in danger stay alive. He's just, oh, yeah. fuck it, I'm going home. I'm going to go and play on my Xbox. You know. <laughs> so he goes for this walk. We find out that he's got some frozen embryos, embryos squirreled away. So um, next time he thinks it'll be better. He's going to build another park, he thinks. Um, and then he's basically runs down all the people who all the main people who've worked for him many of whom have died in the last few hours yeah and uh thinks about how crap they all are so he says that he thinks that Wu was too obsessed with improving the dinosaurs and Hammond darkly suspects that was the entire reason for the park failing (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure that's true yeah just the level of um self-delusion on display here yeah. It's really he, spe- he just goes through every other character in the book and like why it was his fault and why it was his fault and why it was and yeah. I can write this reminded me of something which may be a bit strange, but it's um there is a book by C. S. Lewis who wrote the Narnia books, um, called hmm. The The Great Divorce, which kind of sketches an idea of what hell might be like. And hell is basically this town that spreads on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And it's a bit shit. But the point is that when you think something, you can make it happen. So everybody hates one another and they just create houses next door and next street and next everything until everybody's millions of miles apart and just completely disconnected. But there's one bit where you see Napoleon and Napoleon's kind of punishment in hell is just to be in this place that he's imagined for himself, this huge Napoleonic kind of palace, just walking up and down, back and forth, going, it was his fault, it was his fault, it was her fault, it was their fault, it was his fault, it was her fault, just over and over again for the rest of time. And I thought that was actually incredibly bleak, but a really great image of exactly what happens here, where it's this guy who's responsible for all of this horrible shit is completely incapable of acknowledging that it was his fault. And like you yeah. just see this real like the like John Hammond's character totally like caves in on himself at this point. Yeah, so he, th- he thinks that Arnold was a, a worrier and missed important things, 
so he was a poor choice. Uh, having said that, it, maybe he should consider that Arnold had had to work sort of twenty four hours without sleeping because he hadn't bought any more staff. Yeah. <laughs> but never mind yeah. that. He's always like to prove that we don't need more than twenty people to run this place. We will only hire twenty people and assume that it will run. Not sure that's the way it's supposed to work, John. To be honest. <laughs> Like he describes Ed Regis as a poor choice without elaborating. Yeah. <laughs> and Regis was a poor Violent choice. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah. Harding was an indifferent choice, apparently. He does the best out of everybody, doesn't he? And yeah. Muldoon's described as a drunk, which, let's be honest, he's probably yeah. right. There, but, you know. That is fairly undeniable in itself. <laughs> he thinks that the next one will be better. Basically, Jurassic Euro Park will be better. We've already got Kraftwerk to do the voiceover for the, the cars. It's all sorted. <laughs> um, yeah, so is this thinking about... I think the last thing he thinks about is that even basing it in Costa Rica was, was, wasn't probably the best idea. And then he hears this Rex roar. Yeah. So he thinks the Tyrannosaur's out. Yeah. He, sees, he, he thinks he sees this shadow moving on the bushes. So he panics, runs off the path, falls over, and basically bounces down a hill, which... Uh, for a man, a man in his late seventies, is it's no joke. Is yeah, it? yeah, no kidding, eh? Uh, and he ends up with a broken ankle. Um, Bad shit. It turns out, it turns out that there wasn't a dinosaur, and that uh, Lex and Tim are in the control room playing with Tyrannosaur sound effects through the speed loudspeakers. <laughs> <laughs> right, as a, as as a kind of comeuppance. This does have a certain beautiful poetic irony, doesn't it? You know, like yeah. he just he goes straight from kind of refusing to acknowledge the nod of a kind of a, a, some lower underling uh, into yeah. his mind, this person who doesn't really matter, um, to running away shit scared of a fake dinosaur scream <laughs> within like six seconds of one another, and. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but I, I love the reveal here where it's like it suddenly stops being a recorded dinosaur roar and becomes a child's voice, right? And yeah. that's how he finds out that it was Tim and Lex and how we get the dramatic irony of the... Uh, but in practice, what that means is that this is a system, for some reason, for, for broadcasting fake dinosaur roars. And never yeah. mind the question of how they recorded these fake dinosaur roars. I mean, you imagine going out and antagonising a T-Rex and holding up a microphone to it going... Okay, all right, all right, prod him in the foot. Now, oh, 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 lovely, Rexy baby, just lovely. But, you know, let's get another one for coverage. Right, never mind the question of how the fuck you get a full-grown dinosaur into a recording studio. Never mind that. Why on (laughs) earth do you put a microphone next to the thing that plays these sound files? Right, like, is it in case it breaks? So, like, so you can have the guy running the PA system just going, oh, fuck, it's broke. Oh, dinosaurs like just in case is that was that the plan (laughs) i like well i i actually thought that that was um so you got the recorded noises i'm not quite sure why they exist but i'd imagine they'd have a loudspeaker system for announcements for the park so they're probably just coming through that so normally they'd be like the dinosaur ride is closing in five minutes. <laughs> five minutes, right? Yeah. So they just happened to have knocked that and switched it on, but maybe not. The Stegosaurus <laughs> has escaped. It would be. It would be one of those public service announcements. We, 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 like you know, you get Mister Sands means fire. Yeah. You know, so like yeah. Mister Scales has escaped. <laughs> has has um 
has uh, run around the fence. <laughs> Mr. Scales, please, to the Tyrannosaur paddock. <laughs> if you're looking for somewhere to eat tonight, why not try our delicious goat's cheese tart? Made with the finest, freshest goat's cheese <laughs> at the lodge. <laughs> <laughs> what could have been? Uh, anyway. Hammond, back to the real world, realises what's happened. Um, he's furious. Mm. And he's also a little embarrassed because he's obviously thrown himself off a path for no reason and broken his ankle. Yeah. He shakes for help and hopes that someone's going to come by and help him out. Uh, meanwhile, we go back to Malcolm. Uh, Malcolm sort of comes a little bit out of the coma or comes almost to the surface of his coma, if you like, um, and ta- starts mumbling about paradigm shifts, which are... It's a little complicated, but it's basically what happens when some discovery, for example, in science is so profound that it changes the way people view sort of science itself so the example he gives is Darwinian's the, uh, Darwin's theory of evolution mm. turns sight like is a paradigm shift yeah and completely it changes, changes everything that landscape. comes after it and you can't imagine what happens yeah. before what happens after until you've gone through it which I think is actually yeah. true of things like we've gone through another one since this book was made in the internet um, yeah so it was a lot quicker he was like once every about 150 years or so there's been a few yeah. recently yeah um, and obviously, this is uh, this is a really nice parallel to his sort of to Malcolm dying as well, and he's saying everything looks different on the other side, and uh, how yeah. it's sort of he's he's seeing. I think he says beyond paradigm yeah. uh, is the way he tries to describe yeah. it. That was a really cool way to go out, wasn't it? Yeah, and perfect for the character as well, wasn't it? Like that's mm. that for a character like that is what constitutes that kind of. You know, seeing the light at the moment of death. You know, this kind of ecstatic experience just before death. Um, mm. And for a mathematician, that's understanding that you're moving into a whole new paradigm of doing things and describing mm. it in those terms. I thought that was really poetic, actually, really nice. Mm. Uh, next chapter is descent. Uh, <laughs> Muldoon, th- Muldoon, back to the, <laughs> back to the, the. <laughs> The plot line that just won't stop. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Muldoon um, threatens Gennaro with a cattle prod um, to get him to go down the down the hole. It is just it's just singularly cruel. This now, there's no reason he doesn't need to go down there. It's, but everyone just hates him. Yeah. So. <laughs> down he goes. Yeah. Um, he sort of get he, so Gennaro, we, from, we go from Gennaro's point of view as he slides down this tunnel. He comes out at the bottom and um, he feels this... He, finally, some joy for Gennaro. He feels this woman's hand on his face and it's Ellie. Yeah. <laughs> it feels like it was all worth it. <laughs> oh, and I bet he does as well, doesn't he? He's like, for all he's being very bullied here and that's not cool. My word, what an ass. <laughs> you know, he's just like, oh, finally, I got touched on the face by somebody beautiful. It's all worth it. Ah, raptors! <laughs> So yeah, they're in the the the. Luckily enough for them, they just so happen to f- sort of come out of this tunnel, which lands behind um, a load of boxes, so the raptors can't see them. By good um, fortune, spe- can you imagine spe- if you spe- just yeah. spat them out in the middle of them? Exactly, which it sh- really should do if it's a sort of main tunnel which the raptors are using to get in and out. But anyway, yeah. 
Um, so they're behind these boxes. They can count 30-plus raptors, including four to six adults. So not many adults, a lot of juveniles and children. Yeah. Um, I think 33 babies, 22 juveniles is the final count once they get a proper look. Um, Clarence nearly blows the cover because he wanders over to say hello. Like, <laughs> get away. Oh, hi, guys. <laughs> and like, hey, you come to my crib. Yeah, yeah like, hi, welcome. You want a you wanna Coke? I got a Coke. I'll give you a Coke. It's okay. Hey, mum, come and meet my friends. <laughs> yeah, let me introduce you to the guys. Don't worry about it. You, you, they wouldn't understand us. Um, um, now the all all the dinosaurs, all the raptors seem to keep turning the same way without really thinking about it. And suddenly, the sound of a boat arriving uh, comes into the cave. They all run outside, so it's a bit of a, another little mini mystery. Mm. So the uh, the people run after them. Is this a point where you want to talk about the fact that none of the babies have been eaten? Yeah, that is exactly what I wanted to talk about because <laughs> up in the park. The moment there's a baby around, all the adult raptors are like, well, I mean, it looks like me, but it's smaller, so it must be about as tasty as food, but um, easy to eat, so fuck it, I love it. You know, whereas here, Mm. this is his whole, you know, the whole point of this scene is to show us the really highly kind of organised dinosaur society, if you like. Mm. All in concentric circles and all with very, you know, strong norms of action and stuff. And, And I don't understand why that difference exists. Hmm. What do you think? I I was I think there are two possible explanations. Uh, one is the uh, the fact that the sort of the the genetics are mutating slightly with this sort of frog DNA idea. Mm. As they become more sort of normal, mm. um, they the sort of the the little switches uh, in their DNA which allow them to sort of look after the young um, develop. So when you've got the the ones that have been, because the ones that are running around causing chaos on the near the visitor center are the proper sort of lab bred guys, aren't they? The younger ones, yeah, the most recent Velociraptors that have been bred, mm. and the most recent version, and they obviously have no empathy at all for anything. It's just these killing machines, and they've. I think there's a. This might be in the second book we talk about it, but there's no because they're just bred in a test tube. And they've they never they're not raised by any, um, they've not got sort of mothers that raise them. They don't learn the sort of the, the sort of uh, societal things that they would do otherwise if they grew up in the wild. So they will are these just weird killing machines? Um, yeah, but I, I think a better I think a better explanation is there's two versions. So it's um, the, the the sort of the latest version 4.3 or whatever are the guys that are running around killing everybody yeah. and obviously Wu's adapted the DNA because something else was wrong mm. and maybe when he's adapted it it switched off some of the some of the things that may, mean they care for they look young yeah. maybe these other ones are an earlier version which were out in the park and then they thought they killed them all but they hadn't yeah could be that you know what uh, that I find much more compelling uh, much more much more sort of logical as a reason because um, because you're right like the other thing is well, they've all bred from somewhere, right? So how how do one how do the wild versions how have they reacquired all of their all of their mm. social norms and the ones that were inside fences haven't? You know, I, I mean, I suppose it could be institutionalization, I suppose, and turn them violent and that. But um, mm. uh, yeah, I think yeah, the idea of there being a different version of the dinosaur almost, which has the sort of uh, the multicolored Clarence skin going on and the high level mm. of social organization and that. 
That does make sense, actually, yes. Thank you. Not as silly as I thought uh, it was. Or a, another simpler reason could just be that they, um, raptors, don't eat their own young, but they, you know, they only recognise the ones that are actually theirs. Oh, and if they're not yeah. theirs, they just yeah. Do it's a raptor eat raptor world, Matt. Except if you're related mm. to <laughs> Yeah. Oh, he's cool, he's cool. And he's my cousin. <laughs> Chill. Don't eat him. Um, so, yeah, we go back to the next chapter, which is Hammond. Um, He's he's exhausted now. He's he's forty feet from this stream, yeah. Which has take it's taken him an hour to climb halfway back up this hill because mm. obviously his ankles a mess. It's actually gone purple now, and it's a throbbing ball of agony. Yeah. Um, and he's still <laughs> even in this situation, he still thinks he's perfectly safe <laughs> because he's just sort of down the down the hill from this road no one's heard him yet as he's been calling for help yeah. he actually expects to live to be 100 apparently um, <laughs> just as he's, because of just the as power he's thinking, of money <laughs> just as he's thinking that the compies turn up oh, oh, and oh. Give, give credit to Hammond here who knows what they are and what they're going to do <laughs> yeah and he knows, knows the name and everything mm. and he's like yeah they like to attack wounded animals and he thinks Oh shit! <laughs> I have to describe myself. <laughs> so he tries throwing rocks at them, um, but they keep sort of coming closer and closer. It's quite a it's a good it's a well written horror scene. This isn't yeah, it? yeah absolutely. Um, they end up jumping on his back and biting his hand, and they've got this sort of fast acting poison, which yeah. seems to be a bit like a, <laughs> a little bit like weed. It just sort of chills you out, <laughs> and he, he just sort of lies there. As one of them climbs onto him and sort of bends down to to bite his neck, and that's that. yeah, nasty, isn't it? Nasty. Good night, John Hammond. There we go. I mean, you were a twat, but that nobody should go that way. Yeah, another one who survive oh dies in the book, but not necessarily the first. Absolutely, and once again, because you can't go around doing that sort of thing to Richard Attenborough, <laughs> you can't do that. Yeah, um, we go back to a chapter called the beach. Uh, this is very quick. The dinosaurs are lining up. Um, in sort of patterns, it looks like they're like they're basically it's drawing the parallel with birds, saying these raptors are like birds as far as they're lining up the way birds do when they want to migrate. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. Um, and then approaching dark, this is the, we're getting to the end now. Mm-hmm. Um, the helicopter arrives with Muldoon on the kid and the kids on board, yeah. and picks up the uh, Grant and Gennaro and Ellie. Mm. Um, so basically, Muldoon had just drove back after uh, after threatening Gennaro with a cattle prod. He had yeah. no intention of going down there himself. <laughs> you coming down yourself? Funny. I don't know what sort of man do you think I am. There's a hole full of dinosaurs. Fuck off. I'm going to go and have a drink. <laughs> yeah. It looks like the Costa Rican government are going to light this place up. The army yeah. is coming in. Yeah. So uh, they've got to get out there, over there now. Um, they find out that Harding... And the other workmen have already taken off. Hammond had an accident near his house, and the company's got him, so he's gone. Uh, Malcolm's dead as well. Uh, <sighs> they say they ask about him, and Muldoon just shakes his head. And then, as they're flying away, the bombing begins. Yeah. Um, there's a real sadness in the way it's described, actually, isn't yeah. there? Um, when the when it's being destroyed, the island. Yeah. And I think I, I suffered here from having watching the film and then reading the sequel book as well, was that I kind of, I missed this completely the first time I read it. But this time out, I was like, oh, shit, this is really bleak. Like, and mm. appropriately so, I think. 
you know like it just mm. kind of you just you know hear these kind of planes flying over and then this napalm and it's just toast and mm. it was really powerful end scene yeah yeah and all the time this uh this army officer's moving between all the survivors asking who's in charge yeah and just nobody's in charge yeah. basically and it's the complete that is a, it's quite a nice way of illustrating the complete breakdown of the whole system that I've been put in place here. Absolutely. And a great point, which he clearly wants to make about um, about kind of Darwinian social dynamics and evolution. Who's in charge? Mm. No one's in charge. You know, just mm. some survive, some don't. That's it. You know, it's a real, that's the worldview that he's writing this from. And I think it's very eloquently put in that little exchange. Yeah. Uh, we move on to the epilogue uh, in San Jose. Mm. And the, we find out that the the survivors are being kept in you know comfortable conditions, but they aren't allowed to leave the country yet. Yeah. Um, and the authorities are very careful and very cautious about how to proceed. Yeah. The burials of Hammond and Malcolm haven't been allowed yet. <sighs> That's um, pretty cold. Yeah. Pre- yeah. Uh, Gutierrez turns up. Remember the guy who was doing the investigations on the beach? Yeah. Um, He's got an interesting tale about how some animals seem to have migrated the way across Costa Rica, yeah. eating lysine as they go, yeah. which was just so happens to be the uh, well lysine-rich foods. Yeah. Just so happens to be the enzyme which uh, the dinosaurs are dependent on. Mm. So mm. something has survived. Something Dave, has survived. Yeah, in the trailer for the second film. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Setting up a sequel here, he clearly decided to go in a different direction, but this begs for a sequel where the dinosaurs continue migrating across Central America and burst out on a beach resort in Cancun or something, and it just, like, <laughs> lay waste. <laughs> yeah, and that's the that's the end of the book. What a book. What a book. I really love that book. Absolutely. <laughs> Fantastic. Fan Dabby Dozy. What are you, like, we're going to get to some reviews in a minute, but before we do, what are um, what are your general thoughts on that book? Um, there's a lot more in it than in the film, isn't there? Like it's mm. Michael Crichton for sheer inventiveness and creativity of storytelling. Like that stuff's off the hook. Absolutely loved it. Um, uh, I agree with you that the last sequence of counting the dinosaurs, I mean, clearly, basically exists so you can introduce the idea of migratory dinosaurs. And like you can almost hear his his uh, his editor being like, Mike, we need we need an excuse for a sequel. Ooh, ooh um, migration. Here we go. Right, get him in a hole in the ground. Um, <laughs> but um, that was a very rare bum note across the whole thing, and I thought the rest of it was was really very well done. How about you? Yeah, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I, when I first read it, when I was uh, like younger, um, it just felt like. Uh, like an extension of the film, yeah, which was great. It was like the director's cut yeah, of the film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then as you get older, you appreciate some more of the nuances in it as well mm-hmm. and some more of the big themes that it's trying to talk about. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. big big fan of that. Um, now, what we do every time we do one of these books is we ask you for your own reviews, which we have a couple, um, and we also scour the internet for the best and worst <laughs> of reviews we try and give a, a fair airing to to sort of both people who like the book and people who don't. Um, I really like this book, so I'm going to struggle to to allow these two and one star. I'm really reviews. looking forward to this. Uh, this I feel like you're very deliberately like like a sort of warrior taking off his army, laying aside your impartiality. You're just about to go completely ape shit on anybody who dislikes this book. 
Well, we're going to start with the good. We're going to start with the five stars. Right, right. We're going to start with the sensible people. Yeah. Um, we're going to start <laughs> with the right reviews. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Chris uh, gave it five stars. He says, Every character is more awesome in the book. In the movie, Muldoon essentially was there to look cool and get eaten. In the book, he stars do- he stirs down a charging Tyrannosaurus Rex <laughs> because he's a boss. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says... And Gennaro, the dude who got eaten on the toilet, punches a raptor in the face. <laughs> <laughs> That's completely true. Actually, for, for, for badassness, all of these characters win. <laughs> he goes a little extra, Chris, here as well. He says, on a content note, though, the book is a lot gorier than the movie. In the movie, people get eaten. In the book, people get disemboweled, eaten, and die later. Just a heads up. <laughs> Isn't it interesting that, like, as kids, we both read this and it wasn't a horrifying experience at all? You know, we didn't. If you'd have shown me that on screen, I would have been like, ah, ah that's horrible. Ah, but somehow in text, I'm like, ah, uh, uh, anyway, moving on. You know, just a lesser response. Yeah. Um, Alan gave it five stars. I don't think it's Alan Grant. Good old Alan. Um, says- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very good. Particularly enjoyed the depiction of Alan Grant. A few corrections, however. <laughs> Alan says, an old standby. My copy as a teen was pretty rough looking from the many reads. It doesn't get much better than MC. Bosh. Uh, four stars. Lee gave it four stars. And um, I reckon most of the reviews are four to five stars, by the way. Lee says, I remember my mother reading the novel at the breakfast table and loudly exclaiming, Oh boy, now John Arnold got eaten. <laughs> <laughs> I love that scene. Breakfast. <laughs> oh boy, John Arnold got eaten. You're off to school, are you? Yeah, yeah, see you later. Love you. <laughs> she realised this story of lab-created dinosaurs wreaking havoc on a tropical island would be of great interest to her boy. And sure enough, I read it and loved it. Very nice. Yep. Rachel, four stars. Simple review this one. She just says, basically, dinosaurs. Yes! <laughs> that is exactly the review I would write. Uh, okay, into the sort of lower reaches now. Julia gave it three stars, and um, she says she says he was going to give it four stars. She says never taken a full star off a book before for one character, but Lex takes that honour. <laughs> there are actually quite a lot of reviews which sort of either turn a lot of fire on Lex as a character yeah. for being rubbish yeah. or turn a lot of fire on uh, Michael Crichton for writing Lex as such a rubbish weak character. Yeah. character. Mm. Yeah. What do you think about that? Well, it's fair, isn't it? Particularly if you fell in love with the with the depiction of the movie, you know, this like this idea of a character who's totally kicks ass. You know, mm. like if compared to that this whining, irritating complete liability of a child is just much more difficult to feel affectionate about you know and it's because as well same name but a completely different age bracket in this book she's basically a child who can't talk properly and in the in the movie she's the older sister and she's like what is she 12 13 or something like that you know what i mean Mm. so you know the the in the movie she's incredibly competent saves the day really cool and clearly inspired a huge number of girls to you know it was a really significant moment in cinema history i think in the depiction of girl characters right 
And then in the book, she's just everything that girls usually are in books and, and popular fiction, which is a bit rubbish, you know? Hmm. So I definitely, yeah. I definitely feel their disappointment there, for sure. I think that's, I think that's right. I, for me, it's supposed to be a different character, but, you know, I, I, I too, I'm disappointed by the difference between book Lex and film Lex. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. Um, next up is uh, Alice, who gave it two stars. Alice, this is, this is a review that I wasn't expecting. Yeah. Alice says... I had a friend who was so in love with this book that she thought she'd been a dinosaur in a past life. <laughs> what? <laughs> Which genetic version did she think she was? Was she the multicolored raptor? Yeah. Was she the horrifying Asbo raptor? Or was she just was she one of the nice hadrosaurs? Smiley face. No. Alice continues. This was so terrible. I think all the dinosaur fossils have rolled themselves off the planet in shame by it. <laughs> Um, interesting. <laughs> and then finally she comes up with a, um, a particular problem she had with the plot. Like, who the fuck would tie the park fences into the same grid as the resort? Absolutely. Why would anyone do that? Absolutely. <laughs> Could not agree with you more, Alice. I think getting the dinosaur fossils to roll off the planet in shame is probably a bit much. But that, absolutely. What the fuck are you thinking? Was it expensive to buy two switches? What? <laughs> Well, I think we did. We did say in the. I think was it part three? Maybe it was. I mean, we, you have to make it up yourself. But um, maybe Ned would just turn the lot off for five minutes because it'd look a bit suspect if he just turned the sort of security systems off. Yeah, I'm, I'm still not convinced though. Like access roads, you know, you don't need to have fences on access roads at all, do you? Have them on the paddocks. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, uh, hmm, not convinced. Not convinced. Uh, next up is uh, Emily. Uh, she's a she's a two starer. This book isn't suitable for small children. I found this out when I was reading it to a small child as a bedtime story. boy! Let me just uh, let me just start this again. I f- <laughs> you can do it, Matt. I believe in you. <laughs> I I, f- <laughs> I found this out when I was reading it to a small child as a bedtime story. And a newborn baby is eaten face first by Procopsognathit. <laughs> she got. She didn't even get past the first two scenes. <laughs> what did you think it was going? When did you buy this and read it? Like, fair enough. If you'd have actually done that before the movie came out and became the most successful movie of all time, fair enough. I was surprised. I thought it was going to be nice. It was going to be the land before time, but with extra theme parks. You know, I don't know. But Jurassic Park came out in 1993. So you're writing this review on Amazon way after. Or on the, on the internet, I should say. I don't know if it was of Amazon or what. But on the internet, which really only became a thing significantly after 1993. And somehow you didn't know that it involved horrifying things like people being eaten. <laughs> So you were like, bedtime story, bedtime story. Peter Rabbit? No, no, not so much. Uh, Harry Potter? Oh, a bit much. <laughs> bit harsh. Oh, the dinosaur one with the dinosaurs and the eating. Yeah. I'm shocked. Shocked, I say, to discover that this dinosaur eating people book involves dinosaurs eating people. <laughs> in the face. In the face. One baby eats it in the face. Oh, Deary me. Oh, dear. Um. Should we do the one star as I I I, just, I can't begin to conceive of one star reviews for this book, but go ahead. 
Right, we've got a collection of four idiots. Here, here. we go. Um, the first one's Brooklyn. Um, Brooklyn says, I had to read this for school. It was okay, but not my favourite book in the world. It was actually pretty boring. Don't tell my teacher, but I didn't read the whole thing. <laughs> one star. Isn't that <laughs> just a, a magnificent... Star. First of all, meh is not a one star review. If you didn't care much about it, <laughs> give it a middling review. Second of all... I would have killed for my English teacher to give me Jurassic Park to read as an English assignment. Fucking hell. <laughs> yeah. Three different flavours of Thomas Hardy is what I got some years. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> no, 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 son. You do not know you're born. Oh, I didn't even bother finishing it. They told me to do it in school. It was uh, stupid. McKaylee, <laughs> McKaylee, one star, says, too much bad language and almost everyone dies. <laughs> <laughs> is there a lot of bad language in this? I don't think there is. I, no, suppose, I really. mean, it depends on your definition of bad language, I suppose. But I, I would say that in the normal span of human experience, being eaten by a velociraptor justifies the odd F-bomb. <laughs> Going to put that out there. Yeah. I don't even think there is any, any F-bombs in there. Are there not? I think there are... I can't remember reading any. Actually, you, you're right. Re- so it's... Oh, I don't know. Oh, fair enough. You know, people have different standards to me. All right. But I would have... Uh, of course everybody I mean, it dies. Po- it's a dinosaur book. And the dinosaurs <laughs> and the humans lived happily ever after in their bizarre social experiment. Of course that's not going to be the book. <laughs> yeah. Because um, I, I, he, he sort of pulls his punches even with the scourge shitless. He doesn't, like Gennaro says, shit, and then stops. Anyway, yeah. anyway, anyway. Basically, Michaeli, you're talking bollocks. <laughs> Um, <laughs> all, all, all opinions welcome here at Shark Liver Oil. <laughs> oh, just by the way, yeah, the ones that I'm giving both barrels to here, I would never do this to any of the uh, any of our sharklets, any of the people who send in uh, of course not, feedback. Of course not, of course not. Oh, listen. No. So if you want to send in a review, you can send it in without, <laughs> safe in the knowledge I won't call you a total idiot. Um, but Michaeli, you are one. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> Margaret, <laughs> Margaret says... If I could rate this lower than one star, I would. Oof. I hated the characters and couldn't wait for them to get eaten by dinosaurs. <laughs> I'm amazed Spielberg saw a movie in this. I did see the movie and I had the exact same reaction. Bloody <laughs> hell. Well, I don't think you were paying very close attention to many of the characters then because all the most objectionable ones from the book are very different in the film. Like, yeah. I, And I really I love that as well. I don't know what Spielberg saw in this. I don't know, don't know what he saw yeah. in it when he made an acknowledged masterpiece of 20th century cinema. <laughs> Fucking idiot. <laughs> Dinosaurs were in a mock on an island eating people. As if there's a film in that. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Tell you what you should have done. They should have done Gutierrez, the man who hears the rumours, and just follow him around San Jose for three weeks, hearing people mutter about the possibility of weird lizard attacks in the countryside. Yeah, and the thrilling climax is where when they all return from the island, and he just says, "What's happened?" Oh, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> That's the film you wanted to see. Don't deny it. <laughs> yeah, Margaret, you'd love that, wouldn't you? <laughs> Margaret, what's other names? Margaret. Oh, Sorry, anyway, fucking anyway. hell! Bring it in. Bring it in. Uh, fi- the final one star review I've got is from Sarah. All right. Uh, Sarah says, I can't even begin to give a helpful review. I wish she'd just stop there. She didn't. She continued. <laughs> um, I can't even begin to give a helpful review. I tore this book in half when I finished it in a fit of Fucking rage. Hell. No, no regrets. Hated it. <laughs> Whoa. Wow. Well, kudos for following through on the rage. 
I've got to say, <laughs> kudos for making that happen. Um, <laughs> I love that image. Oh, I hate this. I'm really angry now. <laughs> <laughs> dear, oh dear. Oh dear. Oh my word. All right. It does hurt me a little to, to imagine this book in pieces on the floor. <laughs> I don't think you need to worry too much, Matt. There are several million copies of this book in the world. <laughs> yeah, I realised when I went to my parents recently that I own four copies of this. <laughs> so it might be time, might be time to let it go. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't realised that you had this that sort of an emotional long-term relationship with the thing. The, by extension, I actually own three copies of Congo. Um, because the three of the books have got a, the sort of double, the double, double, the double edition. One particular <laughs> edition, cheap paperback, owned three times. That's commitment. <laughs> Actually, I've got it in hardback and paperback. What, what the? <laughs> I don't know why. What the shit? I think I think I keep thinking that I've either sold it or lost it. Yeah, so I, I must have given that away. I'll buy another one. He said. Yeah. <laughs> I even tried to buy it on Kindle, but you can't get it on Kindle. You know. What at all? Weird, isn't it? No. Wow. So it says it's unavailable, which makes me wonder, surely it's not out of print because you don't have to print it, you just send the digital yeah. stuff over. Yeah. So, I don't know. Okay. Anyway, the final review. I'm going to go back up to the five stars for the final one. There we go. Um, so sue me. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> it's from Tiffany. And Tiffany says, he doesn't take you back in time to dinosaurs. He brings dinosaurs to the present. Crichton makes the impossible possible, and boy, is it a wild ride. Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. So that is JP, Jurassic Park, by Michael Crichton. Um, If you're listening to us on the special feed, Jurassic Shark, which has been a little difficult to get hold of for various... I'm not quite sure why, but iTunes seem to be uh, throwing a bit of a hissy fit around it. But if you have listening on that particular stream, then... Keep uh, keep subscribed, and we'll, we're going to do the Jurassic Park: The Lost World, which is the second book, and we're also going to do the uh, the films. So I think our next one will be a short, special, extra podcast on Jurassic Park: The Film. Brilliant. Uh, that's going to not going to come out for a few weeks though, uh, because we're uh, we're going to be taking our summer break now. Um, if you if you're subscribing to the general Shark Live Royal podcast where you get all the books, regardless of whether they feature dinosaurs or not, <laughs> then um, stay subscribed. And we'll, again, we'll be taking a short break, but we will be continuing um, when the autumn comes round, probably start of September. Um, and we're not 100% sure which one we're going to do n- next yet. We've got, we've got Game of Thrones, A Dance of Dragons, sort of on the menu, but we're not quite sure exactly when we're doing that one. We might squeeze in another book before that. We've had a few requests, but if you want us to do a specific book, then do send the request into sharkliveroyalpodcast at gmail.com. That's sharkliveroyalpodcast at gmail.com. Um, we do tend to ask for them to be fairly well-known and popular, um, just because it gives it the broadest appeal it can. But uh, we'll, we'll consider anything, so so you can feel free to send them through, and we'll add it to the, the list, which is growing at quite a rate now, Dave. <laughs> Brilliant. But um, anyway... Okay, well, so you may get an extra little special extra podcast on Jurassic Park, the film, um, sometime over the next few weeks. But until then, we'll be back in September when Shark Liver Oil will return with a mystery book. 
Christie gaff's just wait. Exactly. Are we actually going to do a mystery? Find out. Should we do an Agatha Christie? Should we get one of those in? <laughs> Maybe. Uh, you know. Maybe. All suggestions are welcome. Uh, I, th- I think. I think we'll do one more before we get into the Game of Thrones again. I feel. I, I feel. <laughs> the grief is still too great. The grief near. is still too great after yeah. a feast for crows. Fucking hell. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but until next time, uh, have a great summer and uh, we'll see you in the autumn. See you later.